Chapter 22 of Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Arthur Pianetidosi. The captain, turning quickly, barreled for all hands to come on deck. When they were assembled below him, he spoke. Men, you followed me for many a voyage, and I have always brought you safely home. Is it not so? A good-humored and enthusiastic roar of assent came from the sailors. Captain Blizzard began again. What lies ahead of us in the next few hours will not make good sense to many of you. Nevertheless, I ask for your instant help, and you shall see what lies at the end of my orders when we reach that time. Are you with me? Aye! cried the sailors, their faces close together below their captain, and upturned to see him and catch every word. All but Zachary Height was noticed. Zachary remained sullen and apart his arms folded on his chest, taking no part in the enthusiasm of his companions. "'Well and good,' roared Captain Blizzard. "'I thank you. Now crowd on all sails you will take, boys, with a venture follows hard upon us.' Without a word, the men sprang to work, darting up the masts and out over the rigging like monkeys. Every bit of sail the Mirabelle possessed bellied out on night breeze, and Chris could feel the ship leap under his feet as the additional canvas caught the wind and the graceful ship surged forward. Night fell before the men had finished, and Chris and the captain could no longer see the sails of Clagachew's venture. The captain turned to Chris. Would you be my advice, lad, to go below and sleep for a bit? You too, Amos. I shall send Ned to awake you and land in sighted. This seemed good reasoning, and the two boys went below, and they snatched a few hours' sleep. It seemed only a minute to Chris from the time he lay down in his hammock, knowing he was too excited to sleep until Ned Silly was at his side with the lantern, bringing food for Amos and himself. Bust eat up, lads, Ned told them. And join the captain, says he to me, for land is just ahead, and the captain do be waiting on you on, on the bridge, this me lad. Food was bolted down in no time, and Chris, feeling fresh and alert, ran up to the warm darkness of the bridge. To his surprise, the usual lanterns were not lit. Only a small shaded light shed its rays on the compass near the wheel. In his questioning look, Captain Lizard muttered, Impossible to tell now how close the behind the venture may be. We have come quickly, for they have the fastest ship. I have no wish to give them more clue than necessary as to where we may be. He looked keenly toward the bow, his hands clasped behind his back. Land is off the scabbard quarter, and Aaron MacLeod is out on the bowsprit looking for the reef. We have passed our anchorage. They expected us, or some other ship. The pyres were lit on shore. Sail has been taken in. We are doing slowly, and will soon be there, by my reckoning. His eyes grown used to the dark. Chris now saw that it was a remarkably light night. There was no moon, but a myriad of stars gave a clear, pallid sheen to the sea. Chris, looking to his left, could make out the blacker mass against the stars that was Tahiti. The Mirabelle was close inshore, and the scent of hot sand from the beaches, or flowers and of plants, made Chris take many great vital breaths. May I go and be with Abner? he asked the captain. Aye, replied that good man, for by this time Chris was as sure-footed as any sailor, and for the last month or more had been clambering barefoot in the rigging with the best of them. Aye, lad, Ripton told him, and hurry, happen your eyes are sharper than Abner's. Sing out when you spy the reef. We will heave to, and then God be with you, lad, to find us out the channel to the cove. 
Chris ran forward to the bow of the Mirabelle and out along the bowsprit, where at the tip he could see the long form of Abner Cloud stretched out at full length and waited, eyes straining ahead. They both, and both saw the phosphorus gleam and fade, gleam and fade as the waves broke over the coral. Eerie jade green and white gold, the phosphorus shone in the starlight. Reef ho! sang out Abner, and the shout of his sh uh, shout was echoed back from the closest of the shore in dangerous mockery. Reef ho! Reef ho! came a third time to the bridge, and then heave ho! under Captain Blizzard. Drop anchor, lads! Abner left his place to go back and lend a hand, and in sun solitude, Gris grasped a rope and swung down to the water. A porpoise slipped away from the Mirabelle and moved this way and that to get its bearings. Then the mass of the reef to the left and the hidden shelf of a second but obscured underwater reef to the right made dark patches in the phosphorescence. Far below lay the ghostly spread of sand, and the porpoise nosed its way forward. The channel to the cove proved to be some five hundred yards long. It seemed no time before the porpoise passed from the shadow of the trees at the shore into the starlit cup of the cove. Taking a turn about in the enjoyment of flipping its fins and giving a leap or two, the big fish then went back towards where the Mirabelle hung suspended on the glassy sea. A boy it was that pulled himself up hand over hand along the anchor rope and stood dripping seawater on the bridge before Captain Blizzard. I found the channel, sir. He said, abruptly conscious of his importance from the admiring way in which Samus was staring at him. There's a dangerous shelf of coral that shuts out on the port side. If you let me go first, and the men man the boats and row her in. I think we shall do it safely, even in this light. Captain Blizzard looked at him. His expression was serious and trusting. Well, lad, we do what we must, and you and I understand it one another. Ahoy there! He roared down to the shadowy decks from which the black spikes of mass rose high to break the sky. Man the boats! We shall tow the Mirabelle to cover, for there's a channel here. He turned to Chris as the sound of running feet and of the boats being hoisted overboard came loudly in the stillness of the night. Now, Christopher, my boy, do you go down and go over the side again and remember what we spoke of a few hours ago. The next half hour was an exhausting one for poor Chris. It was an impossibility for him to keep for long at a time, either his own or the shape of the of porpoise. He had to enter the water under the eyes of the sailors waiting with their oars poised above the sea, in the shape they knew, Christopher Mason. But once he dived under in order to seek out the treacherous channel in the half-light, he needed his fish's eyes and senses. He therefore would swim a few yards as a fish, but had to surface again as himself in order to let the men see again and call. Well, length of two boats, keeping the starboard, boys. Then ease her over this way, to port. So it went, almost foot by foot, until the Mirabelle was safe inside the cove and turned broadside to the entrance. Then, and only then, with the anchor safely dropped to the white sandy depths of this hidden harbor, did Chris, tired to his very bones, climb up the ladder and over the ship's side. There remained the camouflaging of the Mirabelle, for the stars were fading, and before long, dawn would banish secrecy. But Captain Blizzard and Mr. Finney waited Chris on deck. Captain Blizzard had his hands clasped behind his back in a habitual gesture, and as Chris stood before him, swaying with fatigue, there was a look on the captain's face that Chris had never seen there before. The usually cheerful, joking man was grave, while Mr. Finney, so sober and forlorn as a rule, looked positively jubilant. 
My good lad, the captain said, you said you could do it, but truth to tell, I doubted it from the bottom of my heart. Now that you have succeeded where I am sure no other could have done as well, I find I have no words of praise good enough for ye. He looked almost tenderly at the tired boy. I am proud of you, Christopher. You did a man's task with a boy's body and mind. And it took a man's spirit, too. Without further words, the captain of the Mirabelle held out his pudgy hand to hold Chris's in a steadying grip, and Mr. Finney swung out his hand, his long face breaking into one of the rare smiles Chris was ever to see on it. Now, me boy, uttered the captain, do you go to your well-deserved rest. Depend upon it, we shall cover the ship with green until she looks like the proverbial Christmas hall decked with boughs of holly, as the song goes, he added, chuckling. <laughs> A little later in the day, you shall be called to see what you will make of the result. And now, to bed with you both! And clapped Amos on the back. Never in his hammock was he more like a cloud to Chris than it did on that night. Nor was sleep ever more engulfing. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 22, End.